Well, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. We're looking at the church's servant leaders. So today is a special day as we start our new congregation officially. We'll do something here in a few minutes that uh, hopefully will feel like a a spiritual experience for you. We'll actually invite the elders up, the two elders who were a part of the global team over Beloit and Janesville and McChesney Park. We'll invite them up and we will install them or appoint them officially in the capacity of eldership over this local church. They also then will turn around and appoint me and pray over me and charge me to be the pastor of this new work. And so I felt like it would be appropriate then for us to let the the word guide the way in all of that. And so Acts chapter 20 kind of sets the stage. If you're unfamiliar with it, Paul gathers the elders of a church that he had spent about three years with and he sends for them and he gathers them together and then he gives them a final parting word of instruction and encouragement. And in there we find out what eldering really is all about. And so I'd like to read it and then we'll pray and we'll get to work. This is Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17 and going on through verse 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in from among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that that by this kind of hard work, we should help the weak remembering the, the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. 
What grieved them the most was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray right now as we've opened your word that you by your spirit would speak. We pray, God, that you would give us a clear picture of spiritual leadership. We pray that all of us in here would be moved by that, that we would be excited about our involvement with the local church because of the way that you provide for her. So we give this morning to you. We give this talk to you. We ask, Lord, that you would please speak to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's look at this under three different themes. It's a lot of material, so let me just give you three themes that show up here, and they kind of frame out what it means to be a servant leader, what it means to to practice spiritual leadership, and they are serving, suffering, and shepherding. Now, they intermingle here in the text. There's significant overlap between all three of those different topics, but let's look at them one at a time. To be a spiritual leader is to be a servant. Um, First and foremost, it's serving God. It's serving God's purposes. It's serving the agenda that God sets before the spiritual leaders. If you look at verse 19, Paul puts it like this when he says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He's saying, look, here's what I'm doing. I am serving. I served the Lord. He's the one who determined what it is that I was doing. He's the one who got to set the agenda. It's his will that it ultimately um, informs what spiritual leadership is. So spiritual leadership is not just, hey, I, I like to lead people or I'm good at leading people and, and I've got certain things that I'd like the church to do. No, spiritual leadership is saying, at the end of the day, the ultimate decision maker is God himself. And my job is to steward that well. To, to understand what he wants for this congregation and then to pursue that. He's saying, I serve the Lord. It's serving the Lord in the space that he has appointed for him. There's a reality here that God gives spiritual leaders and then places them in certain locations. If you look at verse 28, it reads like this. It says, he's talking to the, to the elders and he's saying, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So not only is it serving the Lord, but it's serving the Lord in the place where God has appointed them. God made them leaders. Yes, he certainly raised them up for the task, but then he made them leaders of that flock. So there's a connection. There's this connection between the spiritual leaders and the people of which they're serving. And that's, a, that's an important thing for us to, to think through, that God gives us the leaders that we have and God knows best. And so I, I guess I was thinking about it this week, and uh, this will feel a little bit like an overstatement, but I think it's true. I, I think what God is saying here is that he has placed you in this church and the leaders over you. And he did that on purpose. In other words, God has certain things for me to say to you that your favorite online preacher will never say. There's something about me and and how God has wired me and the words that God has given to me for you that you can't find anywhere else because God has appointed, the Holy Spirit has made me an overseer over this flock. And so, you know, when you think about your favorite 
internet preacher. I'm talking about the one that if you lived in their zip code, you'd go to their church. And you love listening to them and you love the things that they say. But I want you to recognize here that spiritual leadership is something that God appoints. And I'm not trying to be bold here. In fact, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of me this week that was like, I don't even know if I want to say that. But I think that God has given me something for your good. And you might not, you, you, you won't get it somewhere else because this is the arrangement that God has overseen. Well, spiritual leadership is serving the Lord. So what exactly is it, Paul? What do you think spiritual leadership looks like? Well, he defines it for us in verses 24 and following. He says, here's what it is. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So here's what it is. Spiritual leadership is gospel ministry. It is gospel ministry. It's, it's a gospel ministry in two different ways. On the one hand, it's proclaiming the gospel, but then it's also applying the gospel. It's proclaiming the gospel. He's saying, this is my task. This is what I'm on earth to do. It is to declare to you, to proclaim this incredible reality of the grace of God. He puts it like this in verse 21. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He's saying this is the good news of the gospel. A part of servant leadership is to say this is the news that you most desperately need. This is the gospel that I need to proclaim. I have to say this so that you could hear it and respond in faith. You need to repent and you need to place faith in Jesus Christ. There's a gospel proclamation. That's a part of this ministry. But then there's also another part of it, and it is the part of gospel application or gospel care. Paul doesn't just want to preach the gospel. He wants to make sure that there is a community formed around the gospel. He wants to ensure that there's systems and structures to help people along. This came true for me back in 2007 when I was doing the action sports ministry and God put a burden on me for the local church. And um, I was traveling around doing action sports ministry. So I'm in Seattle one week and I fly back home and then we did a tour up the East Coast and we're in Orlando and Atlanta and the Carolinas and Virginia and we're traveling around and God is putting this burden on my heart that there needs to be this ongoing deep relationship with a people. And that's what Paul is concerned with here. He is called to do, um, to do missionary church planting. So he's leaving. He's saying, guys, I'm going to leave, but here's what I care deeply about. I want to make sure that the church has what it needs to thrive. So he turns to them and he says, you have a job to do. Look with me at verse 28. It says, keep watch. This is him talking to the elders. He says, keep watch over both yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. He's saying, I care deeply that there is healthy spiritual leadership over the local church. The task that I have of serving God is proclaiming the gospel, but it is also making sure that there is gospel applications being made for the long haul. There needs to be a declaration of the gospel, but then an organization too around that gospel so that all people would come to maturity in Christ. And it's going to be hard work. Verse 35, if you look down toward the end, he said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Gospel ministry is hard work. I've heard, uh, it's, you know, pastoral ministry is also a way to be lazy. I've heard people talk about that, that you can, pastors can actually just be lazy individuals who kind of hide out. Uh, There's an opportunity, there's a threat there, I suppose, for gospel ministers to be lazy. But when you're really doing the work of shepherding, when you're really doing the work of leading and caring and serving and doing what the Lord requires, it is hard work. Growing up on a tree farm, I am very familiar with hard work. I've worked very hard uh, trimming trees as an eight-year-old with hand clippers. And I've got scars on my body from trimming trees with big old machetes. Um, I know what it's like to work a, a full day, sun up to sundown. I know all of that. But spiritual leadership and specifically shepherding a people of God, it is a demanding task. And it takes a toll not only on the body, but on the mind and the soul as well. So it is a hard work, but we serve the Lord because it is worth it. So it's serving the Lord, but it's also serving God's people. There's a connection between the shepherds, the elders, and the people that they're serving. There's a relationship. There's a spiritual bond that's being made. In verse 18, he puts it like this. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first time I came into the province of Asia, he's saying, look, my life was open to you. You understand how I lived among you. You observed the way that I conducted myself. My life and your life were intermingled. There's a relational connectedness here. He's saying, look, real shepherds aren't, aren't you know, preaching their message and then retreating into the green room to just kind of do their own thing. It's like a task that they do, but then they retreat. This, this is not what spiritual leadership is all about. Now, I know I've done that before, but that's because I'm an introvert. And I, I love people, but I also need to retreat from them sometimes. I need to get recharged so that I can give you what you most deserve. But he's saying, as a principle, there's this way of doing life together that a shepherd needs to be available to the people, to the flock. He, he describes it to another church, the church in Thessalonica, and I'll put it up on the screen, but it says, we, he and his ministry team, we cared for you. We loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's what shepherding looks like. It looks like lives opened to a community. Leaders who are willing to say, I'm serving God and I'm serving you, and therefore my life is open to you. Well, if you're doing that, if that's the nature of shepherding, it will involve a ministry of truth and tears. It will involve a ministry of both truth and tears. To to open one's life and to serve God and his people will involve saying some hard things. Verse 20, he puts it like this. He says, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. He says, look, God is speaking and I have an obligation to say whatever it is that he wants to communicate to you. And there are going to be plenty of times where that offends you where you hear that and you recognize real quick, this is God addressing you and you get uncomfortable by it. And he says, look, I didn't hesitate from that. I told you what you most needed to know. I didn't shrink back from saying the hard things. I taught everything that I knew would be helpful to you. I was thinking about it this week. Um, If every time you come to church, you're able to nod your head in agreement with me, I'm probably not doing my job. 
There are going to be plenty of moments where because God says something and I share it with you, you kind of get uncomfortable. You start to wiggle a little bit in your seat and you start to think, dude, he's reading my mail. He's picking on me. (laughs) But that's what, that's the work that God is doing because listen, we are a people who need to be confronted and changed. I mean, if you're so mature, if you're so spiritually mature that there's not a lot of work left to be done, good for you. But most of us are a work in progress. And so when we open the Bible, what do we find? God confronting us. Not because he's mean-spirited or anything like that, but because he loves us. And he's saying, here are some things that I see in you that need some adjustment. Here's some things that we need to bring out into the light and apply the gospel to so that you might change. And so faithful preaching and faithful shepherding is is being able to look people in the eye and say, I didn't hesitate from saying what you most needed, even if you didn't like it. And here's why, because I love you. Okay, There there are some pastor teachers who really enjoy being abrasive. Who, who love that ministry of truth just because they're like, I'm faithful. And everyone hates, you know, either people just love to be condemned and they keep coming or, or they kind of leave and that means, well, they're not the true followers of God then. There are some people like that. But a true shepherd says, I love you and I'm going to say the hard thing because I care. And I actually will cry over that. That's the second part, truth and tears. Look at verse 31. He said, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I'm not saying the hard things just because I enjoy watching you squirm or because I think that's a badge of honor and faithfulness. No, I'm saying the hard things because I want what's best for you. And I will weep over the congregation. That's what Paul is saying here. For three years, that's what I did. I warned you night and day with tears. This made sense for me over the last year because there were multiple times as I was looking at the congregation, I felt like God was giving me a glimpse into the condition of the flock. And I saw things that were disheartening, not, not personally for me, not, not just because it made my life harder going through a pandemic, but because the pandemic really opened up the spiritual crevices of our lives and showed us the idols that we truly have. And there were moments where I, I just would go home after church and I would weep. And you got to know something about me that is abnormal, right? My wife will tell you right away, uh, he's not an emotional dude. Um, Historically, I'm not. I mean, I had Reese and that changed me. And and now I cry watching TV shows and stuff. But I'm not just like (laughs) crying about everything. But when I get home from church sometimes and I think about the brokenness, even in our own church family, there's weeping. And I think... Um, that's an appropriate thing for a shepherd to experience. A, lo- a deep love for a people, a desire for their good. And when, when, that people, when, when those people aren't living up to their calling that God has in store for them, the appropriate response, I would say, is weeping. So it's a ministry of truth and tears. This is all serving God and serving God. His people. But secondly, there's another theme here, and that is the theme of suffering. Somebody who's going to engage in spiritual leadership is signing on for a life of suffering. Look at verse 19. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. 
to engage in spiritual leadership is to go into a task, an assignment that will have opposition. It, it, will, it, it will inherently have opposition. To lead a people toward Christ-likeness will be met with resistance, both from the people themselves and from obvious opponents. There are people who do not want you to become Christ-like. You have an enemy. He is diligent in his task. So to engage in spiritual leadership is to engage in suffering, a life of suffering. Now, God makes that abundantly plain for Paul here in verses 22 and 23, where he says, I don't know what's coming, but I know at least this much. It's going to be hard on me. Here it is, verses 22 and 23. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I'm, I'm engaging in this task. I'm following the Lord's leadership. I don't know exactly what that looks like. God has given me a calling to go in a certain direction. But here's what I do know, because the Holy Spirit keeps informing me of it. I know that in every place I land, it's going to be hard. That I'm going, to, I'm going to face opposition, and I'm going to be persecuted, and I'm going to see things like prison, imprisonment and hardships. And that came true. So to be a spiritual leader is to sign up for this life of suffering. And the question then is, how on earth, well, why on earth would anyone do that? And how on earth do they persevere in it? How do they persevere in this? Well, Paul makes it easy for us by describing the, the value of the task is so great that nothing else compares to it. So if you're engaged in spiritual leadership, it is worth it. Here's how he puts it, verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's saying, I don't care if I have to die doing this thing. I just care that I am doing what God has assigned to me. And it will be worth it. Now, it reminds me of the, the place in the Bible where Jesus is teaching on, on spiritual leadership. And he says, there's a difference here. There's a difference between uh, a shepherd and a hired hand. There's a tremendous difference between somebody who's just earning a paycheck and somebody who feels that that's their responsibility to care for the flock. And so he puts it like this in John chapter 10. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock, the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And then Jesus goes on to say, but I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the prototype of spiritual leadership saying, look, you will have to sacrifice for their good. You might even lose your life for their good. But that's exactly what Jesus was willing to do. And so true shepherds, under shepherds of the true shepherd himself need to be willing to say, I care about this flock and I will sacrifice for her and I will disadvantage myself for their good. That's the kind of leaders that we most desperately need. And that leads us to the third theme that we find here. And that is the theme of shepherding. Shepherding is this metaphor in scripture for leadership. Um, it, it's used to describe how people lead as kings and as spiritual leaders. And even God himself is called the shepherd of his people. 
and is picked up by this uh, in the New Testament as the key metaphor for understanding pastoral work. In fact, that's where the word pastor comes from. It's the Latin word for shepherd. And so when we talk about the pastor of our church and we talk about pastoring and we talk about pastoral ministry, what we're really getting at is this metaphor of shepherding. And so Paul says to the group, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So you need to give oversight to this group because you are the shepherd. You are the shepherds of this church of God. There's this incredible weight to the calling. This, is no, th this isn't some small thing that people are called to. He's saying this is the church of God. This is his people. Not only are, do they belong to him, therefore you ought to do your job pretty well, but they're also bought with a price. Look at the end of that verse there in verse 28. He bought them with his own blood. So if you think that this is a small thing, you're misunderstanding the task itself. To shepherd God's people is to shepherd the flock of God that he bought with his own blood. Now, standing behind this metaphor is another passage. It's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 34, where the prophet, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he's actually reprimanding the shepherds, the spiritual leaders. And God is saying through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34, woe to you shepherds. You're not doing your job. You have a calling. You have a responsibility. These are my people, and you are not performing your task. You're not doing your obligation. You are neglectful of the flock, and you're abusing them and using them for your own advantage. Therefore, I hold you accountable. You are guilty for the condition of the flock. Now, that's standing behind this text here, and that's why Paul says, look, I did my job. I am innocent because I discharged all of the responsibilities of my ministry. And a part of that is this teaching ministry. So look at verses 26 and 27. Paul is saying, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I did not hesitate to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul is saying, look, as a shepherd, I did my task. I did my job. I didn't withhold from you. I declared to you the whole counsel of God. And so a part of this shepherding is the feeding of the sheep. It's a teaching ministry. It's a declaring of all the things of God. It's looking at the Bible and saying, I want to make sure that I communicate this thing with, in its entirety so that a people would understand the whole counsel of God. I don't just want to have my favorite few verses that I keep going back to over and over again, but I want to have all of the major themes laid out before you. I want to make sure that you understand all of the major categories of the scripture. I want you to, to feel that you have interacted with the whole counsel of God. That is a, a grid through which I run the teaching through. And I think through my, to myself, am I teaching the whole counsel of God? It's teaching all that's helpful. Verse 20, he didn't keep anything back that would be helpful to them. It's teaching in multiple venues. I've taught you publicly and from house to house. It's saying wherever it is that I could reach, wherever it is that I could reach the gospel into your heart, that's where I was doing ministry. It's teaching the whole counsel of God, the whole will of God. So there's a teaching element to shepherding. But then there's also a guarding element. 
guarding against false teaching. Look at verse 29. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He just keeps moving forward with this metaphor of shepherding, and he's saying, look, there are wolves who want to eat sheep, and they will come in, and they will do damage. And he builds that out, and he's talking about false teaching. Now, honestly, this is an area that I think in my own teaching ministry is underdeveloped, and it's something that in coming weeks I'd like to do more, uh, spend a little bit more time on, but there is a, there's false teaching. And it does great harm to the flock. And it is hard to combat right now, especially because of the internet. You have access to all kinds of different voices, all kinds of different communicators. And not all of them are faithful to the scriptures. And he's saying they're going to come in among you and they will not spare the flock. They will do damage. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Here's, here's an interesting thing about false teaching. It's not that somebody comes in and says, hey, guys, I want to teach you something that is so off base, so contrary to the things of God, and I want you to buy into that. You on board? No, it's, it's not that obvious. It's subtle. It's a distortion of the truth. It's religious people who seem well-meaning and well-intentioned, but they're taking truth and they're manipulating it. They're taking truth and they're distorting it and they're doing something with it that results in it being false or unhelpful or untrue. And he's saying, look, this, these wolves, they can come from without, but they can also rise up within. And this is something that we have to be on guard against. That even from this community of faith, people could rise up within it and say, I want to draw disciples after myself. And I've got some things that I want to teach. I've got some, some opinions that I want out there in the front, and I, and I will draw people to myself. So we have to be on guard. Verse 31, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So spiritual leadership involves guarding against false teaching and teachers. So in conclusion, as you hear me talk about this, you're probably thinking, who on earth would ever want to do that? Like, that just sounds really rugged and really challenging and really kind of nebulous even because, you know, you're talking about knowledge work and you're talking about cultural work. And how do you even do that? How do you help people become a healthy community of faith? And it sounds like there's a, a pretty hefty accountability in that task as well. And there is. The Bible makes that plain. So why on earth would anyone do this and how on earth could anyone do it well? Well, in verse 32, we're reminded of this incredible dynamic that it's not really ultimately all on me or on our elders. It's on the word of God's grace. The thing that accomplishes the purposes of God is not our giftedness or our skill set or our ability to read and interpret and explain and apply the word of God. The, the reality of this thing actually working is that God sees it happen. Verse 32, he puts it like this. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He says, look, you have a job to do. You have a responsibility. But at the end of the day, I'm entrusting this flock and its leaders to the word of God's grace. I'm entrusting this flock and its leaders to this one thing that can actually accomplish the purposes of God, that you might be built up, that you might have an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. And so this morning... 
again, I commit you, church family. I know that I'm going to mess this thing up. I know that our elders and the future elders of this church, we're going to mess some things up. I know that we're not always going to get it right. We're going to make our own mistakes. But here's what I am confident in, the word of God's grace and its ability. So I commit you to the word of God's grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now, as we're considering the church's servant leaders, we're praying, God, that you would please make this a place where servant leadership is normal, where what we've just seen here in Acts chapter 20 would be normal and obvious in our community of faith, where spiritual leadership would feel a lot like this, like serving and suffering and shepherding, and all because we're following the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, the one who is willing to lay down his life for us. So may we follow in his footsteps and may the entire church benefit as a result of that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.